What up, Glass House? It's been a minute. I've been really like in tunnel vision, grinding, um, trying to get everything, you know, back on track and back together. I've had so many different projects going on right now that just hadn't had a chance to record in a minute. And it's about one o'clock in the morning, actually. I'm coming to you guys. Um, because I got one of my questions on my podcast that I wanted to answer um, because it is the ending of at the end of the month for uh, mental health awareness. And one of the questions that I got on here that I want to answer and just be real, you know, transparent, intimate with you guys. The question that I got was, what was my breaking point? How did I know um, I had depression? How did I know something was going on with me? Um, and what made me get help? And where am I now uh, compared to where I was then? Um, and I hope I'm answering all your questions. Uh, Keisha, I did get your your, um, your question. So to answer you first, I'm just going to say, you know, I didn't. I probably was suffering with depression before I found out my children were uh, being molested. Um, I went through trauma previously, uh, but what happens is we start building up these masks to cover over, you know, what we really going through. And so like I was a teenage mom, you know, I got pregnant when I was 15. I had my son and, um, my oldest son. So that was dramatic, you know, traumatic, excuse me. And then before my son was a year old, he was actually 10 months old. Um, he was hit in the head with something metal and hard and his leg was broken and he had five ribs broken and he had uh, shaken baby syndrome. So I was also a product of domestic violence, um, which in turn, uh, my son ended up being a victim in that, in that situation. Um, we both were. And so with that, at that time, you know, after my son, uh, went through such a horrible ordeal. You have to, I was a 16 year old kid, you know, with a, with a 10 month old on life support, you know? So, you know, when I think back of when I actually probably, you know, that was the very first, I guess, truly traumatic thing to happen to me, um, with me and one of my children. Um, but prior to that, you know, Again, like I was a teenage mom, and if I even go back to when I was younger, you know, in my younger age, my parents divorced when I was young. Um, I had my father, you know, my whole life, and then one day I didn't have him, you know. I remember, uh, I'm a, I guess, I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself. Like, my parents were married my entire, you know, childhood, like before I was even you know, conceived, <laughs> they were married. And um, I remember my parents getting a divorce and my mom um, not wanting us to be around my father. And we weren't allowed to see him. We weren't allowed to, you know, be a part of his life or his, or the Bagley side, you know, of my family, my father's side, um, we, we weren't allowed. So I used to sneak over to my father's house every morning before school 
and he lived right around the corner from us. And I'm from a small town called Gifford, Florida, um, which is where I was born. Um, at the time we lived in the city, which was, which is, you know, uh, Vero Beach, Florida. And I lived in this subdivision called the Highlands. And we lived out in the Highlands and my father lived maybe two or three streets over from us after my parents got a divorce. My mom was remarried. My dad was remarried and it was tension. So like I'm the, you know, the child of the divorced parents and the two women don't get along. And so, you know, it makes life hell for the kids. So, you know, I was in the middle of that you know, bullshit that they take us through. And so I used to sneak over to my dad's house every morning to go see him. And one morning I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I got dressed, I got my sister ready and I made sure I left early and I went over to his house. And when I went over there, the house was empty. Everything was gone. The garage was up. There was no curtains at the windows, nothing, gone. Never even said goodbye, just left. And at the time, you know, as a child, you know, that's that's the only solid love that I knew. The only thing that was consistent, the only thing that never veered, you know, the only thing that I really had to hold on to and it was gone. Like I went to sleep, I woke up and it was gone. And so I became very angry. You know, I remember becoming very angry and it made me, it it drew tension between me and my mother, my biological mother, because she would say things about my father and I knew they weren't true. You know, as I'm always, I always tell parents, you know, just because you and the father break up doesn't mean that the father is breaking up from the kids. It just means either the marriage or the relationship didn't work, you know, but so many times we put our feelings above our children's feelings and you ruin a relationship that you have no right to ruin. And, and that's what happened. And so then we're at home, you know, so that's the first thing. So then I suffered with abandonment issues, right? What comes from that abandonment issues? Then one day my mom comes back from Massachusetts and with my stepfather and they say that we're moving to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which is like, it's a small island off the coast of Boston. And so we literally moved in a weekend. And so we get up there and the reality is, you know, I'm, I'm in the house with my mom who hates my dad, who's married to another man who she was having an affair with. And I'm just, you know, I'm this kid who loves her, her father. I don't know where he is. He didn't say goodbye. I'm angry. I'm emotional. I'm torn. Right. And so we get there and I grow close to my stepfather. Um, who was actually very awesome, even though the wrong that he did, you know, with my mother and and they were definitely wrong in what they did. What I can say is that he turned out to be a great stepfather. I don't know if that was because he was trying to play makeup or, or what, but he was actually very good to us and, um, me and my, my sisters and I, and so me and him became very close and he was, again, like I said, he was great. And then, 
one day I was um, at home. Well, we were at home and he, my stepfather was a police officer. And we moved from Cape Cod and we moved to um, the city of Boston, Suffolk County. And he was becoming a police officer there. And he asked me, did I want to ride with him to go and find the police department? And, you know, I'm a kid then. I'm probably like maybe 10 or 11, something like that. And probably like 11, maybe going on 12. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to go. And so we go and we find the police department and all the police officers are nice and we get to meet everybody. And, you know, we come back home. And when I get back home, my mom, we go in the house and everything is pitch dark. And when we get in there, you know, my mom is sitting up in the bed and she's like, Nikki, I need you to come in here and I want you to cut on the light and close the door. And my stepfather didn't say anything. He just kind of went in the other room and sat down and, you know, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And so I do what she said. I go in her room and I close the door and I turn on the light. And I remember her asking me to hold my shirt up so she could look at me. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And, you know, back then, you know, older people felt like if they looked at their kid, they could be standing a certain way or whatever. And I guess it was like ways to tell if they were sexually active. And at this time, I'm a virgin, of course, and um, I'm young. I'm like 11 or 12 or something like that. And um, I'm like, no. And, and she threatened me and she was like, um, I don't know what's going on between you and my stepfather and but whatever it is you better hope you don't get hurt and I'm like what what the fuck are you talking about so I get all emotional and I'm crying and I run upstairs and I close my door and she comes behind me and so she comes behind me and she's screaming and she's yelling and you know all this is going on I remember my stepfather coming upstairs and he made her leave me alone and the very next day I ran away from home, ran away from home. And that was the first time I ran away. And, and this story can get much more detail, but I was just trying to give you an idea um, of probably when all of this probably started. Like from childhood, I've had a pretty much, you know, traumatic childhood all the way through, you know, even now, you know, up into adulthood. But it's funny how things prepare you for, you know, the things that you are called to do. And from that point, I went into foster care to make a long story short. That's how I ended up in foster care. And I went in foster care and here's the separation, right? So there's right there was the separation with me from the rest of my family. And during that time, my mother sent my younger sister to Florida and my older sister, she, uh, she went to college and, um, so all of us were, you know, out, away from my mom at that time. But during that time, that's, you know, when, so I'm in foster care. My sister, my younger sister gets sent to Florida. And during that time, she's with one of my aunts and my uncle and my uncle rapes her. And she gets thrown to the side like trash, basically, you know, she gets sent over to my grandmother's house and, you know, Nobody takes up for her, nobody, nothing. And at that time from, you know, she didn't tell anybody at that time, you know, what had happened to her. And when I found out about my sister's rape, 
I was 30, I don't know, but maybe like 35. So I just found out about my sister's rape a couple of years ago. And um, I was furious, you know, I was so angry. I felt like I was the only one in the family who was angry about it. And I was more angry because everyone knew and nobody would say anything. I felt like I was the only one screaming, like the only one that was, you know, at least trying to take up for her. Nobody would take up for her. And the same uncle, you know, was just out and around and he could come around all the family like it was nothing. I even seen, you know, it was like his birthday one time. I remember getting so furious one day. It was like his birthday. And I remember seeing my older sister post on his daughter's page, like, you know, happy birthday. And I, you know, I remember saying like, how dare you, you know, all these people love this person who, who raped this kid. And then when I came here, you know, I, and I started screaming, you know, about what happened to my children. And it was so funny because every older person that I spoke with, you know, in Vero, uh, Florida, when I came here, you know, it was like, they already knew, you know, it was like, oh yeah, everybody knew to stay away from your uncle. It was like a, you know, like a known thing or something, you know, it's like a, you know, yeah, we, we didn't go around him. He was the nasty old man, you know, like nobody went around him. And, I'm like, and if everybody knew this, why didn't somebody say anything? Why didn't somebody do anything? Because I thought about like where that even left my sister. But, you know, I'll get off track. <laughs> so I'll come back to, you know, mental health. So just going through all of that, staying in foster care, you know, all that time. And it, it created the separation there. And I think, you know, that was on purpose. I feel like God did that on purpose. So that when it came time for me to deal with, you know, the situation that I'm dealing with right now, that I would already have the separation there in order to make me strong enough to carry out my, you know, my calling. And so once that happened, you know, so now I've lost my father and then my son got hurt and I was in a, you know, a very bad relationship. And so then I, I went through that and then, um, I was in a relationship and my significant other passed away. And so now I'm grieving, you know, I'm grieving. I'm, you know, the, the, the only person that I was probably ever, you know, truly in love with, I lost, I lost him to lung cancer. And, you know, I tell people it's hard to watch somebody you love die, you know? Yeah. I, that was the very first time, you know, I think I actually prayed like I used to, I prayed, I used to pray every night for God to just take me because it was so painful. It was so painful losing him. And I think I probably at that point, you know, grieving and with everything else that I had went through. And I always say, I'm not going to be like an emotional wreck on my podcast, right? I'm not going to cry because I hate to like see people cry. And I'm like in tears at one o'clock in the morning talking to you guys, <laughs> but I just want you to understand that, you know, a lot of times the depression or anxiety or PTSD, you know, those things are already there. It just takes like, for me, I feel like walking in on my son, molesting my other son, and then finding out that my son who did it was also molested. And that was like the reason for it, you know, like that's what happens. Like when a kid is molested, you know, I try to tell parents this all the time. Now, like when a child is molested and they don't get help, you know, then what happens is they start abusing 
and and it's just because they have those sexual reactive behaviors and they it could be a pillow it could be anything you know they they they're just trying to relieve you know themselves and and so it's hard as hell i'll tell you to one walk in on that and then two to have to mentally deal with knowing that both of your children have been molested and then to make matters worse to know that the person who molested your son you know it wasn't a secret you know that that's the you know that's the big thing when you find out that this person has done this before and people knew about it and you know somebody everybody whispered about it everybody you know had something to say about it but nobody ever did anything and you know i think i became angry at that point when i first found out i was really really angry i was really really hurt you know because in my head i was thinking i started thinking like my son and you know i'm like he didn't ask for that and i thought it was very unfair that people knew and didn't say anything because i feel like i have the right to know that parents have the right to know that you know that if there is an abuser around children you know we should be told that because i never would have let my son spend the night it was a, a normal sleepover I never would have let him stay tonight had I known, you know, that would have happened to him. And then, you know, I became more angry because I would sit and I would just think for hours that my son walked around for years holding that pain, years and listening, you know, and, and, and being around, you know, like one of the cousins who actually knew about it and joked about it and, you know, Kids, I tell everybody, kids keep secrets you wouldn't believe. They keep secrets you would not believe. And so my mind would start going into what my son was feeling. You know, I'm going to tell you, it is hard as hell to sit and listen to your son tell about someone molesting them detail just the detail he could remember everything to the smell the color the sheets the bed the layout of the house you know and when you're sitting there you're listening to that see it doesn't really sink in until late at night when you lay your head down on your pillow and you're thinking about everything that your child is going through at that point so now not only does he have to deal with i've been molested now i also have to deal with the fact that I, st- I, mol- I molested my brother and I thought it was, you know, like, how dare you? How dare you do this to somebody? How, how do you have the right to completely take his whole life away? He was a kid, you know, he, he is a kid, you know, like he, he's a kid. Like, in, and you knew that this person had this, you know, about them and you allowed you allow other children, you know, other children. And then, you know, after that, when, it, you know, I'm, fight, I'm I'm dealing with that and I'm fighting with that in my head and I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And I'm also dealing with my other kid who is now missing his brother because my children all grew up in the same household. Like I, I didn't have an unstable household. Like every, my house was stable. I had a 
I've ran my own business for years now. And, and even before then, you know, I've always had a stable environment. Like my children had always had stability. We always lived nice. We had like, I guess what, you know, some, some people would call the American dream almost, you know, and to have that just completely ripped away with no remorse, no regard, you know, even to this day, no apology. Nobody has, you know, no one asked me like, how's your son? Nobody, nobody in my entire family, because once the story came out about my son, you know, now we know about other kids and one being my niece. And so then, you know, once it came out about my niece, you know, it was like, okay, no one still wanted to look at it until now my niece is an abuser. And now it's like, oh my God, you know, now it's like, but no one still, even then, even then nobody would come back and say, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I apologize for what we did to your family. So unfair. And so you become angry. And it's so hard because, you know, you have to forgive in order to move forward. But it's hard as hell to forgive somebody when they won't accept responsibility when this person who hurt them gets to walk around and you have to watch your children go through complete and utter hell trying to heal. And then you as the mother have to try and stay strong for your children all while nobody gives a damn, you know? So I got to the point where it just consumed me. It completely consumed me. And, and at that time, I was, you know, in a relationship when all of this was going on. And to make matters worse, you know, during that time, like I'm in this relationship, my relationship is not, you know, going well because the person that I'm seeing is now, you know, being accused of the same thing by somebody completely different. And now, you know, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, like what is going on? Like I felt like everything was turned upside down. You know, I, the one thing that was stable in my life, you know, my my household was stable. I thought I had what was this stable relationship. I felt like, you know, everything was solid, you know, around me. And then in one swoop, it's like everything is turned upside down. And so now I'm going through what I'm going through with my kids. I'm going through a horrible breakup. You know, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm going into this complete, like just a hole. And one day I found myself like in my closet and I was just sitting in my closet and I was just crying and crying and crying. And I remember waking up the next day in my closet and I knew something was wrong. And, you know, I knew I had never felt that way. I knew it wasn't normal. Um, and I knew I needed to talk to somebody. And so I reached out and, you know, part of the, the hardest part was probably reaching out because it's hard to tell somebody, you know, what has happened to your children in my instance, because nobody talks about this type of thing. And so I have to tell you why I'm here. 
So I have to tell you that I have to tell you that I'm going through this awful. I'm coming out of this awful, you know, what I thought was a good relationship would turn out to be a complete facade. And, you know, you're going through that and you're still trying to hold it together and you're still trying to run a business and you're still trying to, you know, especially when you're like the strong person for everybody, you're the support for your family, you're the support for your business, you're the support for your kids, you're the support for everybody else. You know, you have to be strong. It, nobody expects for you to break. Nobody expects for you to be broken. And I just got so tired. I got so tired and I was like, you know what? I, I am completely, completely broken. Like I have absolutely nothing else to lose. Everything that could have been taken out of me and away from me was completely, completely, totally stripped. And to be honest with you, I think I think that's exactly where God wanted me. I think he wanted me without my family. I think he wanted me without my then relationship. I think he wanted me on an island all by myself because I remember the day that I walked in on uh, my sons. You know, it was just us in the house. And I always reflect back to that day. And I said, you know, that was God testing me. Are you going to do the right thing? And if you do the right thing, then I'm going to give you something bigger to do. And so it's very hard to you know, keep going and to keep trying to, you know, even though I can't help everybody in my family, cause I was just gung ho and set on, let me save everybody in my family from this awful, awful spirit. And what I learned was you can't save everybody. And I was driving myself crazy and I was sinking further into depression and my anxiety was out of control because I'm trying and I'm screaming and I'm telling you all the signs and all the things that you need to look for. And then I find out about my nieces and, and then you still have the enablers there who do nothing. You know, this is happening. You do nothing. And you think that it's just going to go away and it doesn't go away. And then you look and you say, you know, but I'm showing you, I'm telling you, I'm getting, and it's not helping. And, you know, and I, so many times I want to give up. I'll tell you guys, so many times I want to just stop. So, so many times I just want to walk away. So many times I feel like, you know, is it worth it? Is any of this worth it? You know, it's me trying to save these children even okay so I've helped a few maybe God is that enough you know can I can I walk away from it sometimes I ask for that but then I get messages like I got on my podcast and I get inbox messages on my Facebook and I see like women my age and men older than me who have listened to my video and my story and you know, my kid's story and they're coming out and they're telling and they're getting therapy and they're getting help and they're admitting that they have depression issues and PTSD and, you know, anxiety issues. And so that's what, you know, God reveals to me all the time. Like, yeah, you want to save your kids. I allowed you to save your children, but it's bigger than just your family. You know, I need you to save the masses, not just a few. And so I, you know, I always tell people sometimes we have to be willing to be spotlighted. And I feel like even with me going through depression and anxiety, even that I wouldn't have known how to speak to you guys about mental health had I not went through this. I wouldn't know how to explain to you the highs and lows that I get, you know, sometime um, with my depression just out of nowhere, you know. 
and how I handle it and how I move forward. And so I feel like all these things, you know, that I'm going through right now is just for me to help other people. And that's the reason that I even created the glass house and that I'm so transparent about my situation because I want you guys to, I want you guys to know that it's okay to be broken. I want you to know it's okay to hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to scream. It's okay to punch something. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to need other people, to need somebody. You know, you don't always have to be the strong one because if you don't, you'll lose it. You know, you'll lose yourself in all of this. And that's, you know, that's what I had to come to grips with that. You know what? I'm hurting. You know, it took so, it was so hard for me to say that I'm hurting and I'm broken. And once I got to that point, you know, it was like, I can breathe. I'm sorry, guys. Like, um, yeah, I could breathe. And now, like, when I have my moments, like, even, like, there's certain things that are triggering me. Like, when I was looking at my questions on my podcast tonight and I saw that because I knew it was sincere from that young lady, uh, Keisha, who who calls herself Keisha, you know, um, I knew her. I read your story, by the way, and um, I knew your question was sincere and I knew that I needed to be honest, you know, because this would help someone else. I knew I needed to say, you know, I couldn't get out of the bed. Oh my God, I can't tell you guys how hard it was just to get out the bed. I would go days without showering because I couldn't move. It was like my skin hurt, like my bones hurt, everything. My body would just ache and ache and ache and ache. I was in so much pain emotionally that it became physical. I couldn't eat. Oh, God. Like, I'm thinking about those days. And, you know, I'm just like, I thank God for therapists. I thank God for, you know, mental health um, professionals, period. People don't understand. Like, they are such a necessity. If I didn't have my therapist, and shout out to Amy over at, <laughs> at Treasure Coast. Um, she is so awesome. And Dr. King as well. That's my psychiatrist. And, you know, just to kind of tell you guys that you have to start being open about things like that because somebody is going through what you're going through and they don't know how to get help. And right now I'm in a place called uh, Vero Beach, Florida, which is where I was born. So I'm here uh, for the moment. um, And I do all of my therapy and my um my healing, like I always feel like, you know, God brought me here to heal and to create scream and to, you know, do so many things here. But I really feel like this was just a healing place for me. And, um, I, I didn't start really healing and coming together until I came here, you know, and that's another thing that I have to tell people. Sometimes a change of environment is good. Sometimes you need that and that's okay. Like I literally uprooted my entire life and moved to Florida and I go or I'm going back and forth between Florida and Georgia but like I actually live in Florida through the school year and so like I literally like just got my son and was like you know I had to put my middle son in treatment so he could get treatment because he required extensive treatment after being molested and and then victimizing that's a whole level another level of treatment that those children receive. So I had to put my child in treatment and my oldest son is in college. 
and my middle son just started college too he's in treatment but he gets to uh, uh do his college classes so i'm so proud of him so he's doing that and and so it was just me and my and my baby son so my nine-year-old son and so i just he one day we came to florida and he was like hey mommy can we move here and i was like okay you know what we, we're gonna move and we needed that change and um we we moved we came here and we moved and um and both me and my son, I'll tell you the importance of therapy. Therapy is so such a must because I'm gonna it's different speaking. Like when I speak to my therapist, and she may listen to this like, oh my God, the guy is telling everything. But like my therapist is like God sent. You know, like Amy is like God sent. Like she she is just you sometimes you need someone outside of your family and your friends a professional to deal with you when you're dealing with you know any type of mental health issue it is so important to see a therapist therapy is like you know it, i feel like therapy goes hand in hand with medication and i'll talk to you about medication too so i see a therapist once a week sometimes twice a week um, just depending on, and, and as my situation gets better, like I'm coming up on the anniversary of what happened to my children. So this time of the year right now, like this month, like this time frame right now is really hard for me. I'm going through a very hard time right now. And so that's another reason I wanted to go ahead and, and come on podcast for you guys too, because I don't want to hide, you know, I don't want you to see like, you know, oh my gosh, she's always happy because I have moments like this where, you know, I can't sleep at night and, I'm up and, you know, I don't, sometimes I have to just cry it out. You know, sometimes, sometimes the depression wins, you know, in the moment, but overall, you know, I win cause I'm still here. So I do have my moments, you know? And so I wanted to say that. And when I read your question, Keisha, your story, I was just like, you know what? Like, I just felt like that was just God tugging at me. Like, Hey, you need to jump on and you need to record tonight. And so, um, I just want to tell you that therapy is very, 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 very important, very important. Like therapy gets me through this and also your medication. So here's the thing about nobody, you know, wants to admit that they're on medication or that they need it even, you know? And I tell people like, when you're dealing with mental illness, you have to think about it this way. If you're not on the medication. You feel horrible, right? You're going through all these ups and downs. You're crying. You you don't you can't stop. You know, you can't get out the bed. Your body's aching. You know, depression is hell. Anybody who suffers with depression will tell you. Like I suffer with chronic depression and anxiety. It is complete and utter freaking hell. And so until you the therapy this is how i look at it so you know what it feels like i knew what it felt felt like not to have medication and i couldn't even be a functional parent i couldn't even take care of myself let alone tend to my son you know the proper way thank god for having like great friends like i have one like i'm in vero right now and i have one friend who um literally like literally he checks on me every single day every single day you know you gotta have that person that's that strong for you 
who understands that you're going through like the worst time in your life and you know that you may have these moments when it's like really really bad and you just have to vent and you just have to cry because that's the only way to let it out and to get it out so you know even if it's just one person like I don't have a lot of people that I speak to a lot of people that I trust especially in my situation so that's you know that's that's my family you know that's that's my best friend honestly and you know I I I tell him everything because you know that's the person you got to have somebody who who is just going to listen to you and they're going to pray for you and they're going to make sure and they're not going to want anything in return you know you got to have the you know those people in your corner and then my best friend two of them um Africa and Nicole uh who are in Atlanta um, those are my two, like, you know, that you gotta have the people you can call. Like when I stop recording, I can pick up the phone and I can call Africa and it'll be three o'clock in the morning and she's going to roll over and she's going to answer that phone and Nicole, she's going to roll over and she's going to answer that phone. And I don't have to say anything. I can just be crying and they're going to immediately go into prayer for me. Like you gotta have those friends. I can't tell you, you know, how important that is. You do not want anybody who is negative around you when you're dealing with something as serious as depression and anxiety your space and your energy is so important who you share it with is so 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 important so be mindful of that and so like um, back to the medication part of it though I just wanted to touch on that part your circle part and you know shout out to Barry over at Zoo House because I will tell you guys what, you know, without them, you know, without him, it, it's just, I, I probably, I, some days I, I don't even know how I would have made it to tell you the truth. Like if it wasn't for, you know, the strength, because you got to think my son, my oldest son, like, it was like my best friend. He's still my best friend to tell you the truth. But my entire family was hurting. Like my son was hurting so bad. Like we couldn't even support each other. And so we all needed somebody. It was funny how God showed us who our friends was, you know, at that time, because we had no absolutely zero family support, like none, because we were the ones who told the truth, you know? So from that point, it was like zero support at all. So if, you know, I thank God for a few friends that I have, like, you know, so I always give, you know, thank God for like Barry and Africa and Nicole and my friend Fred you know, all of them and, you know, just helping me, helping me like just to get through this and to let me know, you know, that it's going to be okay. And for letting me vent. So, you know, you need those people, but you also need someone outside of those people, like a therapist. You also need to take your medication. So let me get into the medication part of it. Um, I take Wellbutrin, uh, for my depression. Um, and you, Wellbutrin comes in different doses. You can take it like once a day. You can take it like twice a day. It could be different doses. You know, I would say read up on it. It's a non-addictive medication, which is why I like it. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I try to stick with something that's not addictive. So it's not addictive. Um, it also, also, if you smoke, it helps with smoking too. But it's great for my depression. It helps me um, a lot. And then for my anxiety, because anxiety and depression are two different things. Um, So for my anxiety, I take uh, a medication called Buspar. And um, it works great. 
So and it, a very low dosage, you know, of both. And that's why I tell people, it's not like you have to necessarily be on, you know, this high dosage or whatever, but whatever dosage you need, whatever you need for you to be healthy, for you to make healthy decisions, for you to be productive, for you to be the best version of yourself. Like that's what you need to do. There is no way in the world I would be able to be a productive mother, run a business, you know, write a book, like, you know, do all these things that I'm doing right now had I not addressed my mental health. My mental health was a complete wreck after everything. Like it was a complete wreck. And I knew the key to me continuing and having a great life was to address that first. And another thing that I do too, you know, that I tell everybody, so I use CBD oil too. Um, somebody say weed oil. (laughs) So I use that as well. Um, I'm a huge advocate for that. I take it all the time. Like tonight I was working late, but so I suffer with insomnia Uh, just from my depression. I have like really bad insomnia. So normally if I'm not working late at night, like I was tonight, tonight I was grinding it out. Um, But normally what I do is around nine o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that. um, I do a dropper full of CBD oil for sleep. Um, and it completely mellows me out. It lasts, you know, all the way through the next day. And so you don't have to worry about taking another medication, like a pharmaceutical medication. It's 100% organic. It doesn't have any THC in it at all. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, not passing a drug test or it being illegal or, you know, it's completely 100% legal. So, you know, like, and so I take that, you know, uh, at night for my insomnia and it works better than anything else I have used because I used to use Ambien, which is addictive. Um, and I stopped using Ambien because of that, because it is addictive. And when I learned that I was like, I don't want anything that, you know, can make me dependent. So that's what made me switch over to the, uh, CBD oil. And it's been working great. Uh, really, really awesome. So I'm a huge advocate for that, um, as well, but I make sure I see my therapist every week when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is wash my face, brush my teeth, take my medication. And I come downstairs, I start my coffee pot, (laughs) get my day started. But, you know, I just, I really wanted to answer that question because I understand that so many people are hurting and so many people need, you know, somebody to tell the truth. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to tell you the truth that, you know, I, I just, I fell, you know, I fell apart and I fell apart and it's okay to fall apart. It's just not okay to stay there. So some of the techniques that I use too, when I'm going through like a real bad, like depression spell, um, this is going to sound weird, but it really works. So I'll give you guys a couple things. Um, one thing that you can do if you like, if, if your depression symptoms at the time are like crying and you're really, really upset about something, like I have those moments, uh, just with everything that, uh, I've been through. Like sometimes I just need to cry. Like I just, I really, really need to cry. And sometimes I want to scream and stuff. So one thing that you can do, like you can get in your car and you can go to like, I don't know, anywhere where there's no one around you. Let your windows up and scream, just scream as loud as you can. Like scream, 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 scream. And then breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. 
you know, screaming is a form of therapy. People don't know that. So I like to tell people that it's one of it's funny that I named my nonprofit that, you know, scream, you know, and my book, I mean, you know, scream. I didn't even know it was a form of therapy until I started going to therapy. And she was like, you know, that's therapy. <laughs> so that's one way. Another way too, when you get angry, because one of the things that I deal with is my anger behind the whole thing, because you, you have to accept that you may never get an apology for things that happen to you, you know, and that's with anything, not just in my situation, but in any situation, some people will never apologize for their wrong ever. And you have to still be able to move forward and you have to still do it in love. And, and that's the hard part. You know, that's just, that is so easy to say, but I can tell you the forgiveness part of this has been the hardest thing. Like I literally, some days I have to like pray like in the middle of the day or like at some weird point in the day because my heart starts getting bitter or I'll feel like, you know, I have all these angry, angry thoughts and I know that's not God. So because I know it's not God and, you know, I know that's not how I'm supposed to behave and that's not how my heart is supposed to be. Like some days I have to literally stop like in the middle of the day and forgive, you know, in the middle of the day and just over and over again. You know, people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that, but it's the truth. You know, sometimes that one time doesn't work. You have to keep doing it. And when you're able to do that, if you get mad, Get a piece of paper and a pen and write an angry letter. What's the angry letter, Nakaya? So you write down everything that you feel into that person. Dear so-and-so, I'm angry. I'm te- I mean, you can make the letters look big and, and jagged or whatever you want to you know, do. Write the letter out. It can be seven pages long. And cry and scream and whatever you got to do while you're writing that letter. And then when you finish writing the letter, you're going to take the letter. You're going to rip it up or ball it up and then you're going to take like a lighter or something and set it on fire and let it go and I know that sounds so crazy but it works you have to learn how to let those emotions go that's what I've learned like you gotta learn how to let it go you can't hold it holding it will just it, it, it's all type of health issues that come with holding and anger and things and that's you gotta have to you have to be able to to let that go another thing um for those of you who know me you know personally I love art you know I love to paint and so sometimes I'll paint like masks and um, like I'll do like different, you know, things in, in my house, like painting is such good therapy. If that's some, if you're an artist, you know, if that's something you like to do, even if you're not an artist, I would say, try it. You know, it takes your mind away from what's going on and painting is, you know, just is very, very good therapy. Um, also journaling is good therapy as well. But the ones I will tell you that I use on a regular basis is my prayer life. It, my prayer life is like air. I'm going to tell you, that's the first thing. And then I meditate a lot. Like, um, the ocean is my life. Like I, I literally probably, I should have been a, a fish or something. I live at the ocean. So I'm always there. I meditate all the time, just being around the elements and being connected to the earth. You know, it just reminds you, you know, when you plant your feet in the sand, um, of your connection to the earth. And even if you're not around an ocean, like I am, cause right now I'm in Florida, but if you're not around that nature as well, sometimes when I don't go to the ocean, I'll run 
like my workout game is so important because I'll run, but I'll run like around like trees or birds or, you know, whatever. Like today I didn't go to the ocean cause it was raining here in Florida. And, um, I ended up running this trail and Alex and I like fed the squirrels and, you know, different things like that. So you can, you know, something to just nature, something to just remind you of your connection to the earth. Um, another thing that I do inside of my house, if you have YouTube, um, everybody has a smartphone. So even if you don't have it on your TV, on my TV though, what I'll do is I'll cut on Zen music through my YouTube, like just healing music, like it's different vibrations and stuff with the music. And sometimes I'll just sit and like breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth in order to relax myself. These tools really, really work. Like the things that I'm telling you, these are the things that I do all the time. I use one of these every day. You know, I'm not, not going to do all of them every day, but I use one of them at least every day. My Zen music is daily. If anybody will tell you if they come to my house, like, oh yeah, when you come in, like her TV has like a screensaver on there and you hear some type of Zen music playing or it's not on at all. I really like use my TV for Zen music and nothing <laughs> like that's the thing. But, um, I would say definitely, definitely don't suffer in silence. You know, I should have did this this podcast way before now but better late than never right um but you guys get help you know get help and don't be afraid to get help don't be afraid to say you're broken if you already if you're already getting help and you know you already suffer with depression or ptsd or anxiety or bipolar disorder any of that if you're suffering with any of that make sure you take your medication can i just say that too stop tripping about not taking medication like yo medication allows you to feel better it allows everybody else to have a great day around you you know it it definitely makes the relationships with other people better you know you need to take your medication you cannot be the best version of yourself if you're not taking it that's not to say that you know you're gonna have to take it the rest of your life but right now this is what you need okay this is what you need and if that's one of the tools that is available to you in order for you to be great yeah take the damn pill like seriously it's like the 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 story where the man was on the boat and god sent him like three boats and he kept saying no i'm gonna wait for god to save me and then god was like but i sent you three boats like yeah like i'm gonna need you to take the pill it's not that bad but i think the stigma of medication and mental illness has everybody like no i don't want to do that because people are gonna think i'm crazy no i'm gonna think you're crazy if you don't take it you know like yeah make sure you're taking your medication and don't listen to people if you got people around you telling you not to take your medication those are those toxic people that i would tell i was telling you about you have to remove those people because those people some people are comfortable with you being broken and you have to remember that there are some people who are just fine with you being broken because that makes you dependent on them you know and as soon as you start getting better and being a better you you'll see that change so don't let anybody talk you out of being a better you or manipulate you into being you know less than what you could be you know we're here to be great we're here to you know finish out what we're called here to do this life is not a fairy tale we're not supposed to be here to just live happily ever after we got work to do. And in order for you to do the work that you're called here to do, you know, you have to be the best version of yourself. So take your medication, see a therapist, set yourself up with, you know, um, 
a psychiatrist. So, you know, if you if you're feeling like these symptoms of depression or anxiety or or bipolar or PTSD, you can look all those signs up, um, especially if you go to like any mental health, uh, mentalhealth.com will actually tell you um, like and you can like take the test for different you know, ones to see if that, cause usually mental illness, you can self-diagnose with that. You know what symptoms you're having. So, you know, you'll kind of have an idea and you can call and make you an appointment. If you're in Vero Beach, Florida, um, in the Treasure Coast area, um, Treasure Coast Community Health is dope. Like, <laughs> man, that entire team over there is like God sent to me and my son. They are so awesome. Like they really came together and came up with a plan. They understood the sense of urgency. They understood the trauma that we had been through on different levels. They understood my son's trauma and then they understood my trauma as a parent. And they attacked that thing so like aggressively. And I thank God for them and I'll continue to thank them because I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without them. And, you know, to finish answering Keisha's question, where am I at right now? Right now I'm healing. And I'll say to you guys, don't rush yourself to heal. You know, don't rush yourself to heal this thing. It takes time. You know, I'm not putting myself on a time frame of when, you know, I'm supposed to be better. You know, I take it one day at a time, one moment at a time. You know, if today is not a good day, I know whatever I'll look at, whatever didn't make it a good day and I'll make the next day a good day. And every day I will tell you it gets easier. It gets easier. But, you know, don't be afraid to to reach out for help. Don't suffer in silence uh, at all. If you know any children that are being abused, if you're being abused or it's your child that's being abused, you can reach out to 1-800-96-ABUSE. Um, that is the actual direct number to report abuse. Um, you can also call 911, your local, you know, 911 department. Um, so if you know somebody who is abusing someone or you have knowledge of that, you know, don't be the enabler. I'm a big advocate for that as well. You know, don't be the person that's sitting around knowing something going on and don't do anything about it. So yeah, definitely. We've been on my podcast now. I've been recording for almost an hour at this time. So, you know, I tell people to think about it like this. I've been recording for an hour in the middle of the night, right? Because it's like 1.35 now. And so in, in the middle of the night, you still have one in four girls, one in three girls who are sexually assaulted, one in six boys. So just during this podcast alone, this hour that you've been listening or I've been recording, you're talking about somewhere around 13, 14 kids, you know, who have been molested just in this time frame. That's a lot of kids. That is a lot, a lot of children. And I always tell people, you take three girls, line them up. One out of those three. You know, I always tell people, if you got three girls in your house, line them up and and, and look at them. It becomes real when you look at it that way, you know, and, and, and go from there. And so if you guys have any questions, any concerns, leave me any comments you like on my podcast, hit me. I do get your messages in my inbox as well on Facebook. I am sorry that it took me so long to record another podcast. I would try to stay on top of that. I'm going to do another one um, about the book that I'm writing. It's a children's book that I'm writing. So I'm going to do another one about that. But until I come to you guys next time, make sure you get help for your mental illness. You do not have to suffer in silence and be dope. I love you.
What up, Glass House? It's been a minute. I've been really like in tunnel vision, grinding, um, trying to get everything, you know, back on track and back together. I've had so many different projects going on right now that just hadn't had a chance to record in a minute. And it's about one o'clock in the morning, actually. I'm coming to you guys. Um, because I got one of my questions on my podcast that I wanted to answer um, because it is the ending of at the end of the month for uh, mental health awareness. And one of the questions that I got on here that I want to answer and just be real, you know, transparent, intimate with you guys. The question that I got was, what was my breaking point? How did I know um, I had depression? How did I know something was going on with me? Um, what made me get help and where am I now uh, compared to where I was then? Um, and I hope I'm answering all your questions. Uh, Keisha, I did get your your, um, your question. So to answer you first, I'm just going to say, you know, I didn't, I probably was suffering with depression before I found out my children were uh, being molested. Um, I went through trauma previously, uh, but what happens is we start building up these masks to cover over, you know, what we really going through. And so like I was a teenage mom, you know, I got pregnant when I was 15. I had my son and, um, my oldest son. So that was dramatic, you know, traumatic, excuse me. And then before my son was a year old, he was actually 10 months old. Um, he was hit in the head with something metal and hard and his leg was broken and he had five ribs broken and he had uh, shaken baby syndrome. So I was also a product of domestic violence, um, which in turn, uh, my son ended up being a victim in that, in that situation. Um, we both were. And so with that, at that time, you know, after my son uh, went through such a horrible ordeal, you have to, I was a 16 year old kid, you know, with a, with a 10 month old on life support, you know? So, you know, when I think back of when I actually probably, you know, that was the very first, I guess, truly traumatic thing to happen to me, um, with me and one of my children, um, but prior to that, you know, again, like I was a teenage mom, and if I even go back to when I was younger, you know, in my younger age, my parents divorced when I was young. Um, I had my father, you know, my whole life. And then one day I didn't have him, you know, I remember, uh, I'm a, I guess me, I'm just going to speak for myself. Like my parents were married my entire, you know, childhood, like before I was even, you know, conceived, <laughs> they were married. And, um, uh, I remember my parents getting a divorce and my mom, um, not wanting us to be around my father and we weren't allowed to see him. We weren't allowed to, you know, be a part of his life or his, or the Bagley side, you know, of my family, my father's side. Um, we, we weren't allowed. So I used to sneak over to my father's house every morning before school and he lived right around the corner from us and I'm from a small town 
called Gifford, Florida, um, which is where I was born. Um, at the time, we lived in the city, which was, which is, you know, uh, Vero Beach, Florida. And I lived in this subdivision called the Highlands. And we lived out in the Highlands and my father lived maybe two or three streets over from us after my parents got a divorce. My mom was remarried. My dad was remarried and it was tension. So like I'm the, you know, the child of the divorced parents and the two women don't get along. And so, you know, it makes life hell for the kids. So, you know, I was in the middle of that you know, bullshit that they take us through. And so I used to sneak over to my dad's house every morning to go see him. And one morning I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I got dressed, I got my sister ready and I made sure I left early and I went over to his house. And when I went over there, the house was empty. Everything was gone. The garage was up. There was no curtains at the windows, nothing, gone. Never even said goodbye, just left. And at the time, you know, as a child, you know, that's that's the only solid love that I knew. The only thing that was consistent, the only thing that never veered, you know, the only thing that I really had to hold on to and it was gone. Like I went to sleep, I woke up and it was gone. And so I became very angry. You know, I remember becoming very angry and it made me, it it drew tension between me and my mother, my biological mother, because she would say things about my father and I knew they weren't true. You know, as I'm always, I always tell parents, you know, just because you and the father break up doesn't mean that the father is breaking up from the kids. It just means either the marriage or the relationship didn't work, you know, but so many times we put our feelings above our children's feelings and you ruin a relationship that you have no right to ruin. And, and that's what happened. And so then we're at home, you know, so that's the first thing. So then I suffered with abandonment issues, right? What comes from that abandonment issues? Then one day my mom comes back from Massachusetts and with my stepfather and they say that we're moving to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which is like, it's a small island off the coast of Boston. And so we literally moved in a weekend. And so we get up there and the reality is, you know, I'm, I'm in the house with my mom who hates my dad, who's married to another man who she was having an affair with. And I'm just, you know, I'm this kid who loves her, her father. I don't know where he is. He didn't say goodbye. I'm angry. I'm emotional. I'm torn. Right. And so we get there and I grow close to my stepfather. Um, who was actually very awesome, even though the wrong that he did, you know, with my mother and, and they were definitely wrong in what they did. What I can say is that he turned out to be a great stepfather. I don't know if that was because he was trying to play makeup or, or what, but he was actually very good to us and, um, me and my, my sisters and I, and so me and him became very close and he was, again, like I said, he was great. And then one day. I was um, 
at home. Well, we were at home and he, my stepfather was a police officer. And we moved from Cape Cod and we moved to um, the city of Boston, Suffolk County. And he was becoming a police officer there. And he asked me, did I want to ride with him to go and find the police department? And, you know, I'm a kid then. I'm probably like maybe 10 or 11, something like that. And probably like 11, maybe going on 12. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to go. And so we go and we find the police department and all the police officers are nice and we get to meet everybody. And, you know, we come back home. And when I get back home, my mom, we go in the house and everything is pitch dark. And when we get in there, you know, my mom is sitting up in the bed and she's like, Nikki, I need you to come in here and I want you to cut on the light and close the door. And my stepfather didn't say anything. He just kind of went in the other room and sat down. And, you know, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And so I do what she said. I go in her room and I close the door and I turn on the light. And I remember her asking me to hold my shirt up so she could look at me. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And, you know, back then, you know, older people felt like if they looked at their kid, they could be standing a certain way or whatever. And I guess it was like ways to tell if they were sexually active. And at this time, I'm a virgin, of course, and um, I'm young. I'm like 11 or 12 or something like that. And um, I'm like, no. And and she threatened me and she was like, "Um, I don't know what's going on between you and my stepfather and but whatever it is you better hope you don't get hurt and I'm like what what the fuck are you talking about so I get all emotional and I'm crying and I run upstairs and I close my door and she comes behind me and so she comes behind me and she's screaming and she's yelling and you know all this is going on I remember my stepfather coming upstairs and he made her leave me alone And the very next day I ran away from home, ran away from home. And that was the first time I ran away. And and this story can get much more detail, but I was just trying to give you an idea um, of probably when all of this probably started. Like from childhood, I've had a pretty much, you know, traumatic childhood all the way through, you know, even now, you know, up into adulthood. But it's funny how things prepare you for, you know, the things that you are called to do. And from that point, I went into foster care to make a long story short. That's how I ended up in foster care. And I went in foster care and here's the separation, right? So there's right there was the separation with me from the rest of my family. And during that time, my mother sent my younger sister to Florida and my older sister, she, uh, she went to college and, um, So all of us were, you know, away from my mom at that time. But during that time, that's, you know, when, so I'm in foster care, my sister, my younger sister gets sent to Florida. And during that time, she's with one of my aunts and my uncle and my uncle rapes her. And she gets thrown to the side like trash, basically, you know, she gets sent over to my grandmother's house and, you know, Nobody takes up for her, nobody, nothing. And at that time from, you know, she didn't tell anybody at that time, you know, what had happened to her. And when I found out about my sister's rape, I was 30, 
I don't know, but maybe like 35. So I just found out about my sister's rape a couple of years ago. And um, I was furious, you know, I was so angry. I felt like I was the only one in the family who was angry about it. And I was more angry because everyone knew and nobody would say anything. I felt like I was the only one screaming, like the only one that was, you know, at least trying to take up for her. Nobody would take up for her. And the same uncle, you know, was just out and around and he could come around all the family like it was nothing I even seen. You know, it was like his birthday one time. I remember getting so furious one day. It was like his birthday. And I remember seeing my older sister post on his daughter's page, like, you know, happy birthday. And I, you know, I remember saying like, how dare you? You know, all these people love this person who, who raped this kid. And then when I came here, you know, I, and I started screaming, you know, about what happened to my children. And it was so funny because every older person that I spoke with, you know, in Vero, uh, Florida, when I came here, you know, it was like, they already knew, you know, it was like, oh yeah, everybody knew to stay away from your uncle. It was like a, you know, like a known thing or something, you know, it's like a, you know, yeah, we, we didn't go around him. He was the nasty old man, you know, like nobody went around him. And I'm like, and if everybody knew this, why didn't somebody say anything? Why didn't somebody do anything? Because I thought about like where that even left my sister but you know I'll get off track <laughs> so I'll come back to you know mental health so just going through all of that staying in foster care you know all that time and it, it created the separation there and I think you know that was on purpose I feel like God did that on purpose so that when it came time for me to deal with you know the situation that I'm dealing with right now that I would already have this separation there in order to make me strong enough to carry out my, you know, my calling. And so once that happened, you know, so now I've lost my father and then my son got hurt and I was in a, you know, a very bad relationship. And so then I, I went through that and then um, I was in a relationship and my significant other passed away. And so now I'm grieving, you know, I'm grieving. I'm, you know, the, the, the only person that I was probably ever, you know, truly in love with, I lost, I lost him to lung cancer. And, you know, I tell people it's hard to watch somebody you love die, you know? Yeah, I, that was the very first time, you know, I think I actually prayed, like I used to, I prayed, I used to pray every night for God to just take me. Cause it was so painful. It was so painful losing him. And I think I probably at that point, you know, grieving and with everything else that I had went through. And I always say, I'm not going to be like an emotional wreck on my podcast. Right. I'm not going to cry because I hate to like see people cry. And I'm like in tears at one o'clock in the morning talking to you guys. <laughs> but I just want you to understand that, you know, a lot of times the depression or anxiety or PTSD, you know, those things are already there. It just takes like, for me, I feel like walking in on my son, molesting my other son and then finding out that my son who did it was also molested. And that was like the reason for it, you know, like that's what happens. Like when a kid is molested, you know, I try to tell parents this all the time. Now, like when a child is molested and they don't get help, you know, then what happens is they start abusing and, and 
it's just because they have those sexual reactive behaviors and they it could be a pillow it could be anything you know they they they're just trying to relieve you know themselves and and so it's hard as hell i'll tell you to one walk in on that and then two to have to mentally deal with knowing that both of your children have been molested and then to make matters worse to know that the person who molested your son you know it wasn't a secret you know that that's the you know that's the big thing when you find out that this person has done this before and people knew about it and you know somebody everybody whispered about it everybody you know had something to say about it but nobody ever did anything and you know i think i became angry at that point when i first found out i was really really angry i was really really hurt you know because in my head i was thinking i started thinking like my son and you know i'm like he didn't ask for that and i thought it was very unfair that people knew and didn't say anything because i feel like i have the right to know that parents have the right to know that you know that if there is an abuser around children you know we should be told that because i never would have let my son spend the night it was a, a normal sleepover. I never would have let him stay tonight had I known, you know, that would have happened to him. And then, you know, I became more angry because I would sit and I would just think for hours that my son walked around for years holding that pain, years, and listening, you know, and 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 being around you know, like one of the cousins who actually knew about it and joked about it. And, you know, kids, I tell everybody, kids keep secrets you wouldn't believe. They keep secrets you would not believe. And so my mind would start going into what my son was feeling, you know. I'm going to tell you, it is hard as hell to sit and listen to your son tell about someone molesting them detail just the detail he could remember everything to the smell the color the sheets the bed the layout of the house you know and when you're sitting there and you're listening to that see it doesn't really sink in until late at night when you lay your head down on your pillow and you're thinking about everything that your child is going through at that point so now not only does he have to deal with i've been molested now i also have to deal with the fact that i i I molested my brother and i thought it was you know like how dare you how dare you do this to somebody How, how do you have the right to completely take his whole life away he was a kid you know, he, he is a kid, you know, like he, he's a kid, like, in, and you knew that this person had this, you know, about them and you allowed, you allow other children, you know, other children. And then, you know, after that, when, it, you know, I'm, fight, I'm I'm dealing with that and I'm fighting with that in my head and I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And I'm also dealing with my other kid who is now missing his brother because my children all grew up in the same household like I I didn't have an unstable household like every my house was stable I had a 
I've ran my own business for years now. And, and even before then, you know, I've always had a stable environment. Like my children had always had stability. We always lived nice. We had like, I guess what, you know, some, some people would call the American dream almost, you know, and to have that just completely ripped away with no remorse, no regard, you know, even to this day, no apology. Nobody has, you know, no one asked me like, how's your son? Nobody, nobody in my entire family. Because once the story came out about my son, you know, now we know about other kids and one being my niece. And so then, you know, once it came out about my niece, you know, it was like, okay, no one still wanted to look at it until now my niece is an abuser. And now it's like, oh my God, you know, now it's like, but no one still, even then, even then nobody would come back and say, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I apologize for what we did to your family. So unfair. And so you become angry. And it's so hard because you know you have to forgive in order to move forward. But it's hard as hell to forgive somebody when they won't accept responsibility when this person who hurt them gets to walk around. And you have to watch your children go through complete and utter hell trying to heal. And then you as the mother have to try and stay strong for your children all while nobody gives a damn, you know? So I got to the point where it just consumed me. It completely consumed me. And and at that time I was, you know, in a relationship when all of this was going on and to make matters worse, you know, during that time, like I'm in this relationship, my relationship is not, you know, going well because the person that I'm seeing is now, you know, being accused of the same thing by somebody completely different. And now, you know, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, like what is going on? Like, I felt like everything was turned upside down. You know, the one thing that was stable in my life, you know, my my household was stable. I thought I had what was this stable relationship. I felt like, you know, everything was solid, you know, around me. And then in one swoop, it's like everything is turned upside down. And so now I'm going through what I'm going through with my kids. I'm going through a horrible breakup. You know, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm going into this complete, like just a hole. And one day I found myself like in my closet and I was just sitting in my closet and I was just crying and crying and crying. And I remember waking up the next day in my closet and I knew something was wrong. And, you know, I knew I had never felt that way. I knew it wasn't normal. Um, And I knew I needed to talk to somebody. And so I reached out. And, you know, part of the the hardest part was probably reaching out because it's hard to tell somebody, you know, what has happened to your children in my instance, because nobody talks about this type of thing. And so I have to tell you why I'm here. 
So I have to tell you that. I have to tell you that I'm going through this awful. I'm coming out of this awful, you know, what I thought was a good relationship would turn out to be a complete facade. And, you know, you're going through that and you're still trying to hold it together and you're still trying to run a business and you're still trying to, you know, especially when you're like the strong person for everybody, you're the support for your family, you're the support for your business, you're the support for your kids, you're the support for everybody else. You know, you have to be strong. It, nobody expects for you to break. Nobody expects for you to be broken. And I just got so tired. I got so tired and I was like, you know what? I, I am completely, completely broken. Like I have absolutely nothing else to lose. Everything that could have been taken out of me and away from me was completely, completely, totally stripped. And to be honest with you, I think I think that's exactly where God wanted me. I think he wanted me without my family. I think he wanted me without my then relationship. I think he wanted me on an island all by myself because I remember the day that I walked in on uh, my sons, you know, it was just us in the house. And I always reflect back to that day. And I said, you know, that was God testing me. Are you going to do the right thing? And if you do the right thing, then I'm going to give you something bigger to do. And so it's very hard to, you know, keep going and to keep trying to, you know, even though I can't help everybody in my family, because I was just gung ho and set on, let me save everybody in my family from this awful, awful spirit. And what I learned was you can't save everybody. And I was driving myself crazy and I was sinking further into depression and my anxiety was out of control because I'm trying and I'm screaming and I'm telling you all the signs and all the things that you need to look for. And then I find out about my nieces and, and then you still have the enablers there who do nothing. You know, this is happening. You do nothing. And you think that it's just going to go away and it doesn't go away. And then you look and you say, you know, but I'm showing you, I'm telling you, I'm getting, and it's not helping. And, you know, and I, so many times I want to give up. I'll tell you guys, so many times I want to just stop. So, so many times I just want to walk away. So many times I feel like, you know, is it worth it? Is any of this worth it? You know, it's me trying to save these children even okay so I've helped a few maybe God is that enough you know can I can I walk away from it sometimes I ask for that but then I get messages like I got on my podcast and I get inbox messages on my Facebook and I see like women my age and men older than me who have listened to my video and my story and you know, my kids' story and they're coming out and they're telling and they're getting therapy and they're getting help and they're admitting that they have depression issues and PTSD and, you know, anxiety issues. And so that's what, you know, God reveals to me all the time. Like, yeah, you want to save your kids. I allowed you to save your children, but it's bigger than just your family. You know, I need you to save the masses, not just a few. And so I, you know, I always tell people sometimes we have to be willing to be spotlighted. And I feel like even with me going through depression and anxiety, even that I wouldn't have known how to speak to you guys about mental health had I not went through this. I wouldn't know how to explain to you the highs and lows that I get, you know, sometimes um, with my depression just out of nowhere, you know. 
and how I handle it and how I move forward. And so I feel like all these things, you know, that I'm going through right now is just for me to help other people. And that's the reason that I even created the glass house and that I'm so transparent about my situation because I want you guys to, I want you guys to know that it's okay to be broken. I want you to know it's okay to hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to scream. It's okay to punch something. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to need other people, to need somebody. You know, you don't always have to be the strong one because if you don't, you'll lose it. You know, you'll lose yourself in all of this. And that's, you know, that's what I had to come to grips with that. You know what? I'm hurting. You know, it took so, it was so hard for me to say that I'm hurting and I'm broken. And once I got to that point, you know, it was like, I can breathe. I'm sorry, guys. Like, um, yeah, I could breathe. And now, like, when I have my moments, like, even, like, there's certain things that are triggering me. Like, when I was looking at my questions on my podcast tonight and I saw that because I knew it was sincere from that young lady, uh, Keisha, who, who calls herself Keisha, you know, um, I knew her. I read your story, by the way, and um, I knew your question was sincere and I knew that I needed to be honest, you know, because this would help someone else. I knew I needed to say, you know, I couldn't get out of the bed. Oh, my God. I can't tell you guys how hard it was just to get out the bed. I would go days without showering because I couldn't move. It's like my skin hurt. Like my bones hurt everything. My body would just ache and ache and ache and ache. I was in so much pain emotionally that it became physical. I couldn't eat. Oh God. Like I'm thinking about those days and, you know, I'm just like, I thank God for therapists. I thank God for, you know, mental health um, professionals, period. People don't understand. Like they are such a necessity. If I didn't have my therapist, and shout out to Amy over at, <laughs> at Treasure Coast, um, she is so awesome, and Dr. King as well, that's my psychiatrist, and you know, just to kind of tell you guys, and you have to start being open about things like that, because somebody is going through what you're going through, and they don't know how to get help, and right now, I'm in a place called uh, Vero Beach, Florida, which is where I was born, so I'm here uh, for the moment. Um, and I do all of my therapy and my, um, my healing. Like I always feel like, you know, God brought me here to heal and to create scream and to, you know, do so many things here, but I really feel like this was just a healing place for me. And, um, I, I didn't start really healing and coming together until I came here, you know, and that's another thing that I have to tell people. Sometimes a change of environment is good. Sometimes you need that. And that's okay. Like I literally uprooted my entire life and moved to Florida and I go or I'm going back and forth between Florida and Georgia, but like I actually live in Florida through the school year. And so like I literally like just got my son and was like, you know, I had to put my middle son in treatment so he could get treatment because he required extensive treatment after being molested and and then victimizing. That's a whole level another level of treatment that those children receive. So I had to put my child in treatment and my oldest son is in college. 
and my middle son just started college too he's in treatment but he gets to uh, uh do his college classes so i'm so proud of him so he's doing that and and so it was just me and my and my baby son so my nine-year-old son and so i just he one day we came to florida and he was like hey mommy can we move here and i was like okay you know what we, we're gonna move and we needed that change and um we we moved we came here and we moved and um and both me and my son, I'll tell you the importance of therapy. Therapy is so such a must because I'm gonna it's different speaking. Like when I speak to my therapist, and she may listen to it's like, oh my god, the guy is selling everything. But like my therapist is like God sent, you know, like Amy is like God sent. Like she she is just you sometimes you need someone outside of your family and your friends, a professional to deal with you when you're dealing with, you know, any type of mental health issue. It is so important to see a therapist. Therapy is like, you know, I feel like therapy goes hand in hand with medication and I'll talk to you about medication too. So I see a therapist once a week, sometimes twice a week, um, just depending on, and and as my situation gets better, like I'm coming up on the anniversary of what happened to my children. So this time of the year right now, like this month, like this time frame right now is really hard for me. I'm going through a very hard time right now. And so that's another reason I wanted to go ahead and, and come on podcast for you guys too, because I don't want to hide, you know, I don't want you to see like, you know, oh my God, she's always happy because I have moments like this where, you know, I can't sleep at night and, I'm up and, you know, I don't, sometimes I have to just cry it out. You know, sometimes, sometimes the depression wins, you know, in the moment, but overall, you know, I win cause I'm still here. So I do have my moments, you know? And so I wanted to say that. And when I read your question, Keisha, your story, I was just like, you know what? Like, I just felt like that was just God tugging at me. Like, Hey, you need to jump on and you need to record tonight. And so, um, I just want to tell you that therapy is very, 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 very important, very important. Like therapy gets me through this and also your medication. So here's the thing about nobody, you know, wants to admit that they're on medication or that they need it even, you know, and I tell people like when you're dealing with mental illness, you have to think about it this way. If you're not on the medication. You feel horrible, right? You're going through all these ups and downs. You're crying. You you don't you can't stop. You know, you can't get out the bed. Your body's aching. You know, depression is hell. Anybody who suffers with depression will tell you, like I suffer with chronic depression and anxiety. It is complete and utter freaking hell. And so until you the therapy this is how i look at it so you know what it feels like i knew what it felt felt like not to have medication and i couldn't even be a functional parent i couldn't even take care of myself let alone tend to my son you know the proper way thank god for having like great friends like i have one like i'm in vero right now and i have one friend who um literally like literally he checks on me every single day every single day you know you gotta have that person that's that strong for you 
who understands that you're going through like the worst time in your life and you know that you may have these moments when it's like really really bad and you just have to vent and you just have to cry because that's the only way to let it out and to get it out so you know even if it's just one person like I don't have a lot of people that I speak to a lot of people that I trust especially in my situation so that's you know that's that's my family you know that's that's my best friend honestly and you know I I I tell him everything because you know that's the person you got to have somebody who who is just going to listen to you and they're going to pray for you and they're going to make sure and they're not going to want anything in return you know you got to have the you know those people in your corner and then my best friend two of them um Africa and Nicole uh who are in Atlanta um, those are my two, like, you know, that you gotta have the people you can call. Like when I stop recording, I can pick up the phone and I can call Africa and it'll be three o'clock in the morning and she's going to roll over and she's going to answer that phone and Nicole, she's going to roll over and she's going to answer that phone. And I don't have to say anything. I can just be crying and they're going to immediately go into prayer for me. Like you gotta have those friends. I can't tell you, you know, how important that is. You do not want anybody who is negative around you when you're dealing with something as serious as depression and anxiety your space and your energy is so important who you share it with is so 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 important so be mindful of that and so like um, back to the medication part of it though I just wanted to touch on that part your circle part and you know shout out to Barry over at Zoo House because I will tell you guys what, you know, without them, you know, without him, it, it's just, I, I probably, I, some days I, I don't even know how I would have made it to tell you the truth. Like if it wasn't for, you know, the strength, because you got to think my son, my oldest son, like, it was like my best friend. He's still my best friend to tell you the truth. But my entire family was hurting. Like my son was hurting so bad. Like we couldn't even support each other. And so we all needed somebody. It was funny how God showed us who our friends was, you know, at that time, because we had no absolutely zero family support, like none, because we were the ones who told the truth, you know? So from that point, it was like zero support at all. So if, you know, I thank God for a few friends that I have, like, you know, so I always give, you know, thank God for like Barry and Africa and Nicole and my friend Fred you know, all of them and, you know, just helping me, helping me like just to get through this and then let me know, you know, that it's going to be okay. And for letting me vent. So, you know, you need those people, but you also need someone outside of those people, like a therapist. You also need to take your medication. So let me get into the medication part of it. Um, I take Wellbutrin, uh, for my depression. Um, and you, Wellbutrin comes in different doses. You can take it like once a day. You can take it like twice a day. It could be different doses. You know, I would say read up on it. It's a non-addictive medication, which is why I like it. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I try to stick with something that's not addictive. So it's not addictive. Um, it also, also if you smoke, it helps with smoking too. But it's great for my depression. It helps me um, a lot. And then for my anxiety, because anxiety and depression are two different things. Um, so for my anxiety, I take uh, a medication called Buspar. And um, it works great. 
So and it, a very low dosage, you know, of both. And that's why I tell people, it's not like you have to necessarily be on, you know, this high dosage or whatever, but whatever dosage you need, whatever you need for you to be healthy, for you to make healthy decisions, for you to be productive, for you to be the best version of yourself. Like that's what you need to do. There is no way in the world I would be able to be a productive mother, run a business, you know, write a book, like, you know, do all these things that I'm doing right now. Had I not addressed my mental health, my mental health was a complete wreck after everything. Like it was a complete wreck. And I knew the key to me continuing and having a great life was to address that first. And another thing that I do too, you know, that I tell everybody, so I use CBD oil too. Um, somebody say weed oil. Yeah. (laughs) So I use that as well. Um, I'm a huge advocate for that. I take it all the time. Like tonight I was working late, but so I suffer with insomnia, uh, just from my depression. I have like really bad insomnia. So normally if I'm not working late at night, like I was tonight, tonight I was grinding it out. Um, but normally what I do is around nine o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that. Um, I do a dropper full of CBD oil for sleep. Um, and it completely mellows me out. It lasts, you know, all the way through the next day. And so you don't have to worry about taking another medication, like a pharmaceutical medication. It's 100% organic. It doesn't have any THC in it at all. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, not passing a drug test or it being illegal or, you know, it's completely 100% legal. So, you know, like, and so I take that, you know, uh, at night for my insomnia and it works better than anything else I have used because I used to use Ambien, which is addictive. Um, and I stopped using Ambien because of that, because it is addictive. And when I learned that I was like, I don't want anything that, you know, can make me dependent. So that's what made me switch over to the uh, CBD oil. And it's been working great. Uh, really, really awesome. So I'm a huge advocate for that, um, as well, but I make sure I see my therapist every week when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is wash my face, brush my teeth, take my medication. And I come downstairs, I start my coffee pot, <laughs> get my day started. But, you know, I just, I really wanted to answer that question because I understand that so many people are hurting and so many people need, you know, somebody to tell the truth. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to tell you the truth that, you know, I, I just, I fell, you know, I fell apart and I fell apart and it's okay to fall apart. It's just not okay to stay there. So some of the techniques that I use too, when I'm going through like a real bad, like depression spell, um, this is going to sound weird, but it really works. So I'll give you guys a couple things. Um, one thing that you can do if you like, if, if your depression symptoms at the time are like crying and you're really, really upset about something, like I have those moments, uh, just with everything that, uh, I've been through. Like sometimes I just need to cry. Like I just, I really, really need to cry. And sometimes I want to scream and stuff. So one thing that you can do, like you can get in your car and you can go to like, I don't know, anywhere where there's no one around you, let your windows up and scream, just scream as loud as you can, like scream, 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 and then breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. 
You know, screaming is a form of therapy. People don't know that. So I like to tell people that it's one of it's funny that I name my nonprofit that, you know, scream, you know, and my book, I mean, you know, scream. I didn't even know it was a form of therapy until I started going to therapy. And she was like, you know, that's therapy. <laughs> so that's one way. Another way too, when you get angry, because one of the things that I deal with is my anger behind the whole thing because you you have to accept that you may never get an apology for things that happen to you you know and that's with anything not just in my situation but in any situation some people will never apologize for their wrong ever and you have to still be able to move forward and you have to still do it in love and and that's the hard part you know that's just that's so easy to say but i can tell you the forgiveness part of this has been the hardest thing like i literally some days i have to like pray like in the middle of the day or like at some weird point in the day because my heart starts getting bitter or i'll feel like you know i have all these angry angry thoughts and i know that's not god so because I know it's not God and, you know, I know that's not how I'm supposed to behave and that's not how my heart is supposed to be. Like some days I have to literally stop like in the middle of the day and forgive, you know, in the middle of the day and just over and over again. You know, people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that, but it's the truth. You know, sometimes that one time doesn't work. You have to keep doing it. And when you're able to do that, if you get mad, get a piece of paper and a pen and write an angry letter. What's the angry letter, Nakai? So you write down everything that you feel into that person. Dear so-and-so, I'm angry. I'm I mean, you can make the letters look big and, and jagged or whatever you want to, you know, do. Write the letter out. It can be seven pages long and cry and scream and whatever you got to do while you're writing that letter. And then when you finish writing the letter, you're going to take the letter. You're going to rip it up or ball it up and then you're going to take like a lighter or something and set it on fire and let it go and i know that sounds so crazy but it works you have to learn how to let those emotions go that's what i've learned like you gotta learn how to let it go you can't hold it holding it will just it, it, it's all type of health issues that come with holding and anger and things and that's you gotta have to you have to be able to to let that go another thing um for those of you who know me you know personally i love art you know i love to paint and so sometimes i'll paint light masks and um, like I'll do like different, you know, things in, in my house, like painting is such good therapy. If that's some, if you're an artist, you know, if that's something you like to do, even if you're not an artist, I would say, try it, you know, it takes your mind away from what's going on and painting is, you know, just is very, very good therapy. Um, also journaling is good therapy as well. But the ones I will tell you that I use on a regular basis is my prayer life is my prayer life is like air. I'm going to tell you, that's the first thing. And then I meditate a lot. Like, um, the ocean is my life. Like I, I literally probably, I should have been a, a fish or something. I live in the ocean. So I'm always there. I meditate all the time, just being around the elements and being connected to the earth. You know, it just reminds you, you know, when you plant your feet in the sand, um, of your connection to the earth. And even if you're not around an ocean, like I am, cause right now I'm in Florida, but if you're not around that nature as well, sometimes when I don't go to the ocean, I'll run 
like my workout game is so important because I'll run, but I'll run like around like trees or birds or, you know, whatever. Like today I didn't go to the ocean because it was raining here in Florida. And, um, I ended up running this trail and Alex and I like fed the squirrels and, you know, different things like that. So you can, you know, something to just nature, something to just remind you of your connection to the earth. Um, another thing that I do inside of my house, if you have YouTube, um, everybody has a smartphone. So even if you don't have it on your TV, on my TV though, what I'll do is I'll cut on Zen music through my YouTube, like just healing music, like it's different vibrations and stuff with the music. And sometimes I'll just sit and like breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth in order to relax myself. These tools really, really work. Like the things that I'm telling you, these are the things that I do all the time. I use one of these every day. You know, I'm not going to do all of them every day, but I use one of them at least every day. My Zen music is daily. If anybody will tell you if they come to my house, like, oh yeah, when you come in, like her TV has like a screensaver on there and you hear some type of Zen music playing or it's not on at all. I really like use my TV for Zen music and nothing <laughs> like that's the thing. But, um, I would say definitely, definitely don't suffer in silence. You know, I should have did this this podcast way before now, but better late than never. Right. Um, but you guys get help, you know, get help and don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to say you're broken. If you already, if you're already getting help and you know, you already suffer with depression or PTSD or anxiety or bipolar disorder, any of that, if you're suffering with any of that, make sure you take your medication. Can I just say that too? Stop tripping about not taking medication. Like, yo, medication allows you to feel better. It allows everybody else to have a great day around you. You know, it, it definitely makes the relationships with other people better. You know, you need to take your medication. You cannot be the best version of yourself if you're not taking it. That's not to say that, you know, you're going to have to take it the rest of your life. But right now, this is what you need. Okay. This is what you need. And if that's one of the tools that is available to you in order for you to be great. Yeah. Take the damn pill. Like seriously. It's like the, the, the story where the man was on the boat and God sent him like three boats and he kept saying, no, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then God was like, but I sent you three boats. Like, yeah, like I'm going to need you to take the pill. It's not that bad, but I think the stigma of medication and mental illness has everybody like, no, I don't want to do that. Cause people are going to think I'm crazy. No, I'm thinking you're crazy if you don't take it, you know, like, yeah, make sure you're taking your medication and don't listen to people. If you got people around you telling you not to take your medication, those are those toxic people that I, were tell- I was telling you about. You have to remove those people because those people, some people are comfortable with you being broken and you have to remember that. There are some people who are just fine with you being broken because that makes you dependent on them. You know, and as soon as you start getting better and being a better you, you'll see that change. So don't let anybody talk you out of being a better you or manipulate you into being, you know, less than what you could be. You know, we're here to be great. We're here to, you know, finish out what we're called here to do. This life is not a fairy tale. We're not supposed to be here to just live happily ever after we got work to do. And in order for you to do the work that you're called here to do, you know, you have to be the best version of yourself. So take your medication, see a therapist, set yourself up with, you know, um, 
a psychiatrist. So, you know, if you if you're feeling like these symptoms of depression or anxiety or or bipolar or PTSD, and you can look all those signs up, um, especially if you go to like any mental health, uh, mentalhealth.com will actually tell you um, like and you can like take the test for different you know, ones to see if that, cause usually mental illness, you can self-diagnose with that. You know what symptoms you're having. So, you know, you'll kind of have an idea and you can call and make you an appointment. If you're in Vero Beach, Florida, um, in the Treasure Coast area, um, Treasure Coast Community Health is dope. Like, <laughs> man, that entire team over there is like God sent to me and my son. They are so awesome. Like they really came together and came up with a plan. They understood the sense of urgency. They understood the trauma that we had been through on different levels. They understood my son's trauma and then they understood my trauma as a parent. And they attacked that thing so like aggressively. And I thank God for them and I'll continue to thank them because I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without them. And, you know, to finish answering Keisha's question, where am I at right now? Right now I'm healing. And I'll say to you guys, don't rush yourself to heal. You know, don't rush yourself to heal this thing. It takes time. You know, I'm not putting myself on a time frame of when, you know, I'm supposed to be better. You know, I take it one day at a time one moment at a time, you know, if today is not a good day, I know whatever I'll look at, whatever didn't make it a good day and I'll make the next day a good day. And every day I will tell you, it gets easier. It gets easier, but you know, don't be afraid to, to reach out for help. Don't suffer in silence uh, at all. If you know any children that are being abused, if you're being abused or it's your child that's being abused, you can reach out to 1-800-96-ABUSE. Um, that is the actual direct number to report abuse. Um, you can also call 911, your local you know, 911 department. Um, so if you know somebody who is abusing someone or you have knowledge of that, you know, don't be the enabler. I'm a big advocate for that as well. You know, Don't be the person that's sitting around knowing something going on and don't do anything about it. So yeah, definitely. We've been on my podcast now. I've been recording for almost an hour at this time. So, you know, I tell people to think about it like this. I've been recording for an hour in the middle of the night, right? Because it's like 1.35 now. And so in, in the middle of the night, you still have one in four girls, one in three girls who were sexually assaulted, one in six boys. So just during this podcast alone, this hour that you've been listening or I've been recording, you're talking about somewhere around 13, 14 kids, you know, who have been molested just in this time frame. That's a lot of kids. That is a lot, a lot of children. And I always tell people, you take three girls, line them up. One out of those three. You know, I always tell people, if you got three girls in your house, line them up and and, and look at them. It becomes real when you look at it that way, you know, and, and, and go from there and So if you guys have any questions, any concerns, leave me any comments you like on my podcast, hit me. I do get your messages in my inbox as well on Facebook. I am sorry that it took me so long to record another podcast. I would try to stay on top of that. I'm going to do another one um, about the book that I'm writing. It's a children's book that I'm writing. So I'm going to do another one about that. But until I come to you guys next time, make sure you get help for your mental illness. You do not have to suffer in silence and be dope. I love you.